Shalom. Welcome to the Christchurch Jerusalem Bible Study, where we wrestle with God's Word. For more information on the church, to listen to sermons, to contact us, or to make a gift, visit ChristChurchJerusalem.org. You are invited to a unique trip to Poland, formerly the home of the largest Jewish community in the world. Join us this August as we embark on an in-depth study tour of this once vibrant Jewish community that flourished for almost 1,000 years before its tragic demise. This tour, led by David Pelegi, will take us through a wide swath off the beaten path through eastern and southern Poland, from Warsaw to Bialystok, from Lublin in the east to Krakow in the south. We will visit beautiful medieval cities, castles, synagogues, churches, and abandoned cemeteries to better understand the historical context of the Polish Jewish experience and the ways that Poles and Jews have deeply influenced each other. We will not ignore the traumatic events of the two world wars and will devote a considerable portion of our time to discussing the final solution. We will use the insights of historians to help us understand why and how so many ordinary Germans became willing accomplices in the murder of Poland's three million Jews. This study tour is designed to help us better our prayer life, sharpen our stand against anti-Semitism, and hopefully give us more courage to be faithful witnesses as Christians in our opposition against the idolatry and deceptions of our day. Join us August 6th through 17th, 2022, for this walk through history. Land cost is 1,749 euros, less than $1,900 US. For details and to register, visit narrowbridgetour.com. Narrowbridgetour.com. Brothers and sisters, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to our Bible study here in Jerusalem at Christchurch. We continue to uh, study, um, I think, one of the most precious books of the Bible, the, the book of Leviticus, the Holiness Code. And we happen to be in the best chapter, the highlight of this book. We've been studying some of the, uh, the, the social laws, the moral laws, the, the heart of the living God that he wants his people to be when they go into the land as lights to the nations. And now we continue to look at some of the laws of separation. Uh, and as is our tradition, we read um, the, uh, the summary that, we, that I kind of made from last week. Um, this time I actually used a Google Docs, so the format was a little different. And um, uh, I'll get a bit faster, I think, I hope, at using this. So uh, our summary from Leviticus 19, verses 19-25. Human beings are no strangers to categorization. And we formulate things into categories in all aspects of our lives. In the physical and in the social sciences, we categorize things, animals, plants, everything. Uh, in politics, left wing, right wing, no wing, middle wing. And in religion, where we differentiate just about everything. Christian worldview is likewise shaped by categories, such as distinguishing between secular and religious music, art, literature, and movies. And in the calling to holiness, in the calling to be holy, the people of Israel have been instructed to make a distinction between 
sacred and the profane, clean and the unclean. This is in Leviticus 10.10. Sometimes trying to understand why some things are categorized as they are in the Bible is not immediately clear, like shatnas, the uh, separation of, of, of various linens. Many of these declarations are included in the chokim, or the laws, often translated as decrees or statutes. Many times these are laws that are stated with no apparent or obvious reason given. Interestingly, current Western culture seeks diversity and at the same time demanding we no longer distinguish such things as race and gender. Appreciate diversity at the same time as denying diversity. Confusion is not a hallmark of the kingdom of heaven. Following the social codes and the moral laws, Leviticus now details the laws of separation. We should understand that making a distinction is not the same thing as making a judgment. We also need to understand why a distinction, we also do not need to understand why a distinction is being made before it is made. But perhaps we can understanding will come to us through obedience. As the Israelites declared at Mount Sinai, we will do and we will understand. Israel is instructed against mixing different livestock, seeds, and fabrics. Now, some commentaries seek to justify or understand the reasons behind these commands by appealing to ancient customs of other pagan nations, saying, all the other nations did this, therefore Israel knew. Israel was not to be like them, but to be different, and thus Israel was to have no association to pagan customs. It's possible that this is the reason. Based on Jewish exegetical tradition of the Pardes, we should always seek to look for practical and spiritual opportunities to learn from any part of the Word of God. For example, the command not to sow a field with two different seed types may have practical benefits. Different seed types require different environmental conditions for mature growth. Why make two seeds compete with each other over the same resources? Thus, on a spiritual level, using the exegetical tradition of Kalvachomer, the lighter to the heavier, we can note that if God cares for agricultural seeds enough to forbid us from making them compete with each other, how much more does God care for human seeds? Hence, this verse can be used to argue against abortion. Israel is also commanded to distinguish between slave and free in regard sexual activity between males and females. Normally, sleeping with somebody else's fiancé would be classified as adultery and the death penalty would be enacted. In verse 20, we encounter a situation where the sin involves a female slave. Some sort of punishment is due for the sin, but which? Which punishment? The Hebrew root, bakhtar, carries the meaning of inquire and search. And that's why Mordecai, I think, the Chabad went with Livdok to investigate. Because okay? uh, the actual Hebrew, the Shoresh, Bakar, I, I googled it in biblical Hebrew, it does mean to inquire and seek. Uh, you got to hear that. So. Okay, no, I, I double, double checked. I wanted yeah. to know why the Chabad would, would, would change the word, but it's, that's the, the uh, old Hebrew for it. Yeah. So, so the Hebrew word bakar carries the meaning of inquire and search, and it implies an inquiry is made concerning the social standing of the participants. A distinction between slave and free occurs. Now, we may feel uncomfortable with a distinction, 
as this is now a clash with our present-day theology, especially regarding the status of slaves. Fair enough. But the word of the Lord doesn't depend on our comfort zone, and it would be hubris to think that it should. It should be noted that the that only the male incurs a sin requiring a sacrifice of a lamb for forgiveness. For some reason in the text, the female here is not categorized as being wrong. The female incurs no blame in this situation. Next, the Lord reminds the people of their ultimate destination, the promised land. When you enter the land, do the following. When they do arrive into Canaan, they must distinguish between the old established agriculture of the Canaanites and the new plantings of the people of Israel. Fruit from new plantings can can only be harvested and consumed in the fifth year. The previous fourth year's fruit belongs to the Lord, and it should be brought to the Lord as an offering of praise. The reason for this law, like the others, is not initially stated, but it does reinforce the concept that the land belongs to the Lord first and foremost. Another distinction being made here is in maturity. Can we distinguish maturity not only in agriculture, but also in theology and spiritual maturity? To bear good fruit, we need spiritual maturity. Thus, we do need the ability to recognize maturity in ourselves and in others, particularly if we wish to receive teaching from them. Paul urges us in Corinthians, I think, to pursue meat and not remain with the milk. So learning to distinguish things is important for all of the people of God. And we can take a lot of these learnings on a very practical and uh, spiritual level as we seek to find ourselves mature teachers, to become mature disciples and bear mature fruit for the Lord. All right, so let's finish off Leviticus 19, picking it up at uh, verse 26 with a very familiar command we all had before. You shall not eat any flesh with the blood in it. You shall not interpret uh, omens or tell fortunes. You shall not round off the hair on your temples or mar the edges of beard, and you shall not make any cuts on your body for the dead or tattoo yourselves. I am the Lord. Do not profane your daughter by making her a prostitute, lest the land fall into prostitution and the land become full of depravity. You shall keep my Sabbaths and reverence my sanctuary. I am the Lord. Do not turn to mediums or necromancers and do not seek them out, and so make yourselves unclean by them. I am the Lord your God. You shall stand up before the grey head and honour the man of an old face, the face of an old man, and you shall fear your God. I am the Lord. When a stranger sojourns with you in your land, you shall do him no wrong. You shall treat the stranger who sojourns with you as the native among you, and you shall love him as yourself. For you were strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. You shall do no wrong in judgment, in measures of length or weight or quantity. And you shall have just balances, just weights, a just ephah, and a just him. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And you shall observe all my statutes and all my rules, and you'll do them. I am the Lord. All right. So there's a little bit more for us to dig into 
And some of it has some very inter interesting connections between humans and the earth itself. Uh, we have been particularly Israel and their land. All right, the first command. We shall not eat any flesh with the blood still in it. Now, we've had this command before. We've discussed it before. and We know how important it is because it shows up in the book of Acts that, you know, this is even though this has been given to Israel, okay, this actually follows through even to Gentiles. Gentiles, you can't even have this either, okay? There's something very special about the blood. It belongs to the Lord. Life is in the blood, um, and uh, blood is something incredibly, incredibly special. And for someone like me, blood is even more special um, because that was one of those little turning points on my journey to faith uh, by going to a creation versus evolution debate and hearing the magic and the secret and the, the, that the Lord has inside blood itself in the form of blood clotting. And if anybody ever wants to have me talk about it, I will most definitely share that story. Okay, um, blood clotting, fantastic. Kids loved it, but it was a great little, little uh, story today. All right, Teresa, you've got a hand up. Yeah, because my translation is different. It says, you shall not eat over the blood. That's, okay. it doesn't, it, it says it differently. In, and that's in the Chumash. And it talks about, hang on, let me find this. In its literal meaning, the verse refers to, oh, hang on a minute, I've lost that. Uh, wait a minute. He talks about it being over a ditch with blood in it. I just have to find that. I can now. see why they say that, okay, because in Hebrew it says, Lotachlu al hadam. Okay, it's a very, it's a very interesting way of, of saying this. Now, this could just be biblical Hebrew, the biblical way of using the milat yachas al. Yeah, it says here in its literal meaning, the verse refers to a practice of sorcerers who would gather blood in a ditch and by means of incantations would foretell future events. Now, the sages derive several laws from this phrase um, you shall not eat blood uh, you should not eat over the blood among them are one um, after shekita one may not eat an animal's flesh as long as there is some blood left in it um, two sacrificial meat may not be eaten until the until after the blood service and c the baked din must fast on the day it pronounces a death sentence. And that's apparently based, that's based, that's based on Rashi and it's in the stone Kumash. Right. Okay. Yeah. So, so he's also like other, like a lot of other commentators, they comparing what they know about the um, nations around them and, and saying, look, this is how different we're supposed to be. And this is the reasons why we've been giving these you know, crazy laws and also why they're said in this crazy way. As opposed to saying, you know, I'll, don't, don't eat blood should be a lot, lot simpler. But in, I find it interesting personally when it says don't eat blood. And then um, for those two guys, those uh, Hebrew guys uh, sitting there in that room, room 16 or whatever it is, um, what's the word for um, don't practice divination or soothsaying? Lo? No, de nachashu. Yes. And what's a nachash? Snake. 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 Yeah, that's, there's a little link between the demonic, right, the serpent that you find in the in the in the desert, and the and they they use this as a word to link into uh, you know the blood of Adam. I mean, you destroyed the blood of the entire human race, okay? And so they they link the uh, the dark one 
in there. Is it, you can't go and go and talk to these people. These are, these are totally forbidden for you. Don't you remember the garden? Um, Kate, you've got a hand raised and you've got muted and you're reading the Orthodox Bible. So not only are we reading uh, Jewish commentaries, we're now reading um, Greek Orthodox commentaries. But by the way, it's a fascinating Bible, by the way. Well, because it's so different, I, I, sometimes, I sometimes think, what are they talking about? It doesn't look the same as my Bible. But what they say, I mean, I know in church we're being shown to use this. It says, you shall not eat upon the mountains, nor divine for omens, nor watch birds for omens. That's, that's, that's verse 26. Wow, that's very different. Very what different. That's why I said it. It's not just one word. It's they're using necromancy in that whole sentence, aren't they? The divination. Could it be that um, the translation was done from the Septuagint? I don't know what this what it says in the Greek, but because when you see that kind of um, disparity, then usually it's a translation from the Septuagint. Did they indicate what uh, where they got their source from? No, I can't see that here. Okay, somebody, okay, somebody okay, more right. Well, somebody more knowledgeable will know probably, but I don't. Well, I, I'm, I'm, uh, I think uh, Shimshon actually hit it, it on the head here, and I should have thought about this. The Orthodox Church actually does read Septuagint Greek because they're Greek speakers. Ah. And Septuagint Greek is a variant of the scriptures now don't 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 get that no don't get nervous about it okay it's just when they were translating the bible they had different ways and rules and 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 ways of of using using the language trying to get from hebrew into greek etc um, they also had some extra material so that so sometimes some of their um uh some books of the bible are a little bit a little bit bigger um however uh Septuagint is a fantastic version because it does tell us how Jewish people were interpreting the text several hundred years prior to Jesus. And we, and we thank them for, for proving to us that in the, in the chapter in the book of Isaiah, when it says the virgin will give birth, it says in Hebrew, Alma, and that doesn't mean literally virgin. Virgin is used in other parts of the Bible as just a, a young maiden. But the Septuagint translators knew that in that particular verse it meant virgin, and they deliberately chose a Greek word to prove it. So oh, it's, it's a it's a valuable resource for everybody. Should always, if they ever get stuck, grab your Septuagint. It's all Greek to me. It's all Greek to Rocky. Yep, and it's true actually. It is. Yep. So I've got Yvonne hand raised there in Brazil, and then we're going to switch over to England. Yeah. Um, hi, guys. It's uh, interesting that right after the, the food prohibition um, comes into the, uh, the necromancy, and it just reminds me of a passage in Ezekiel 21, 21, the word of the Lord comes to Ezekiel, but um, it says, for the king of Babylon stands at the parting of the way, at the head of two ways to use divination. He shakes the arrows, he consults the teraphim, and he looks at the liver. So it, it is amazing how they they use this, this the idea of blood and, and things like that. Blood, in that blood, the liver, yeah. Twice in this chapter of holiness, the Lord tells the people of Israel, "Do not consult these guys." Now, if they weren't true, if they were just utter false, it was all a load of rubbish. Then, of course, why would you put so much emphasis by saying, "No, don't"? Because we all know that there is a spirit world. 
And there is this somehow this um, power. The mag magicians of Egypt could had power, and and um, Balaam, this incredible false prophet, could seem to do amazing things. And and uh, and and it's and this witch of Ein Dor could summon up a spirit. And you go, what what is going on? Um, but just because there something is is real doesn't mean we should have access to it. And, uh, and so part of the holiness code is also the self-control to say, to reject something that the Lord has said, this is something to be rejected. Um, uh, self-control is something our communities often lack, uh, but, uh, but it should be there. One of the fruits of the spirit, brothers and sisters. All right. Eindor. Um, yes. The, uh, remember um, uh, Saul really, 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 really wanted to talk to God. And God had stopped talking to him, so he went and he found himself a witch, and she summoned up the um, the spirit of of Samuel, who was a really bit annoyed. Didn't Shakespeare use the witches of Endor? Who, sorry, what? Shakespeare used the witches and uh, witches of Endor, wasn't it? Am yeah, I... yeah they, they get it from um, from That's these biblical the stories. Oh, but there's also a town up north of Israel called Endor. Okay. Yeah, there is because that, that's where it's from. Eindor is the, is actually the spring of Dor. Oh, that's that's amazing. I read I read that when I was about sixteen, and here I am learning more. Yeah. A, a lot of our, our heroes who uh, who wrote some classic literature like Tolkien and, and C.S. Lewis wrote some great material, um, borrowed a lot from these uh, sources and um, Anglo-Saxon uh, material. Some of that wound up in places like Milton's Paradise Lost. I've been reading Paradise Lost recently, and the more I read it, the more I discover Tolkien's borrowing a chunk of it. You go, interesting. Okay. I've been reading that too. Hey, yeah. it's something that triggered that, that we've been talking about, because yep. I had to go to that. All right, David or Vito Butterfield. Uh, Aaron, yeah, two things. Uh, before I go to my point, uh, I was under the impression that the Septuagint offers us a much more accurate translation or, or of what's going on compared to the Masoretic text, which is a little bit too flowery sometimes. Uh, uh, and so I think the Septuagint is an authentic thing to refer to, is it not? Oh, yes, it is definitely authentic. The New Testament quotes Septuagint Greek. We should all admit that because that's actually true. And so we know that, um, you know, when, when Yeshua is on the planet, he, he teaches. He's an incredible teaching. But one of the things he doesn't say, he doesn't grab his disciples together and say, okay, guys, um, I'm looking at a Hebrew version, a Greek version, an Aramaic <laughs> version. Get yourselves sorted out. I mean, my gosh, you guys are a mess. I mean, um, uh, you know, last time I was here walking around the garden and now look at us. Um, so it's, it's, uh, he doesn't say that. And so he, people are wrestling with all of these scriptures. And I think we should, um, they should all be part of our, our studies as mature, remember, we're distinguishing, but I make distinctions. Sometimes we need to look at a Septuagint reading. Sometimes we need to look at a Masoretic reading. And, I, and, and just recently I discovered sometimes it's also worth looking at a Dead Sea Scrolls version. No, I know you're cooking. Yes. Uh, yes. Cause um, some fascinating stuff on, on the Dead Sea Scrolls Isaiah and Masoretic text Isaiah, where in the Masoretic text, It'll say that, you know, the Lord's going to come and, and execute mishpat, righteousness, judgment. But the, but the, the, the Dead Sea Scrolls says mishpato, his righteousness. And it, it constantly links it to a person. 
The Dead Sea Scrolls were 100% looking for a human, well, divine, but a, 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 a human divine redeemer figure. So, so, so Habakkuk then would be more accurate because he said we rely on his, his, yes, his that's, right. That's correct. His, uh, his, uh, uh, Tzadik Be'emunato Ichie. That's right. That's incredible. So, sorry, Aaron, I, I, I digressed. I'm coming back to the verse of 26. Okay. okay. Now, the one that I've got, the Bible I have, King James says at the end, it says, it says neither shall you use enchantment nor observe times. I was curious about that because uh, what I thought about was Matthew 16 and Luke 12, where the Lord says, and in the morning it will be foul weather, etc. He says, for the sky is red. He says, oh, you hypocrites, you can discern the face of the sky, but you can't discern the signs of the times. So uh, I guess it's slightly different to say observe or discern the times, but he's also saying that you know that when you see these things like a pink sky, it's going to be cold in the morning or whatever it is, right? Yeah. Uh, what is this? Is this something different being said? The times. What time? The reason. The reason. Um. The the King James is actually reflecting the word season or time is because okay, Dan, Hebrew speaker here. Uh, the other thing we're not supposed to look at apart from the Nachash is ta'onenu, uh, uh, which um, and ona is a in Hebrew a season. Seasons of time. Yeah. Right, and so that—that's where they're—that's where the King James is getting it. You got some King James guys looking at it. They're looking at the Shoresh, and they're and they're working out well, what are these soothsayers actually looking at? They're they're looking at time, and and they're somehow. But then, Aaron, if I backtrack to Genesis, the Lord says, "I put the stars and everything up there so that you can signs for signs and seasons." Right. Yep. Yes, and that's the other thing. There's some there's some tension. There's this distinction that we have to make between God's times yes. and the enemy's use of time. Yeah, good and, point. And, and so what we're learning as part of the holiness code is as the people of God, one of the things we have to ha- learn is, is, is to distinguish the sacred and the profane, the clean and the unclean. And we're in a culture which doesn't know how to do that anymore. Unfortunately, we don't, we don't, we're, we're constantly blending everything. And that was that tension in one of the sentences I said, where let's have diversity, but let's make everybody the same. Well, that makes absolutely no sense. <laughs> right? I mean, it's completely illogical, which is, of course, the enemy. Confusion is not a hallmark of the kingdom. But yeah, we have to have this, this thing. And I think one of the, it's a fruit of the spirit. Isn't, isn't one of the gifts of the spirit discernment? Yes. Yep, and so we want to have people in our community who have that gift to help us, right? As a a people of God, so we should. It doesn't say don't look at times and seasons, but we have to. The gift is actually discerning of spirits. Correct. Correct. That's one. Yes, discerning of spirits. You know, sometimes with the, for example, in in Isaiah chapter seven. You know, with the whole Betula and Alma and yep. uh, with Israeli friends that are like, oh, oh, you guys corrupt the scriptures and you use, you know, you put whatever you want at the time that you need to, you know, to say, oh, it's all Jesus. It's all Jesus. So it is, it's difficult sometimes to share with them because. And this is where I'll send, I'll send you the article that I, that I read recently. Absolutely fascinating. It shows you in the Dead Sea Scrolls how they, how the Dead Sea Scrolls is 100% looking for a male human slash divine redeemer figure 
Okay. I would love that. Thank you, Aaron. Yep, you're welcome. Okay, guys, so let's uh, continue on. Um, there, there are, as well as things we're not allowed to do or have associations with, including uh, the spirit world and inappropriate use of the spirit world. And then, of course, you get the shaving of the head, um, which, or dis 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 disfiguring your, your beard. What has that got to do with divination or eating of blood? And how are those connected? Um, Mordecai shared a couple of weeks ago that um, how the Chabad, how the different Haredi world view this. Some, as you can go in Israel, you know, growing these long payot things, tying them around the back, looking like, you know, actually really cool hippies um, and having this um, very special uh, ceremony that when they're age three, they cut their hair and burn it and it's sort of a Kabbalistic festival called Lag Bahomer. But um, there is, again, it's a distinguishing between even your looks and your appearances so that you don't look probably like a pagan, right? Now, if that's true, then what does that what does that mean for us you know as uh, in our modern world how do we make ourselves not appear like other people in it share probably that's what yeah yeah so it, it, it's uh it's it's a uh, you know what 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 clothing do we wear that's appropriate um you know what sort of uh things do we wear around our necks and our ears and our, and our nose rings and things so these kinds of things where you go actually we should be distinguishing carefully apparel you know clotheth maketh the man well it's true and the woman and the kids and and the guys um i'm always challenged not always but very often um by some lovely people when they come to Christchurch. you know why do you wear that thing around your neck that that dog collar that's just silly you know why do you guys wear robes and you know my only response is you tell me what i should wear and i'll wear it you you, you tell me the thing that you find in the scriptures God says all God's shepherds should wear X, you know, tuxedos. I'm there. Okay? Unfortunately, it's that's not in the text. So we have to do, it's just a uniform. But anyway, and it does set you apart. Aaron, yeah. Canon Andrew White, who you will know of, um, yep. he used to say that wearing uh, religious clothing, you know, the collar and so on, actually was really important for him in the work he was doing in Iraq, and I think he's done in Israel, because when he meets the leaders of these different faith groups, he's actually showing that he, he has religious standing, and that actually means something. And so he, he, he found it very, very important for that work. Yes, it's true. People do, like, if you see a policeman in uniform, you react to him and behave in a different way. If, unless if he was walking around in plain clothes, which you probably didn't know that he was a policeman, and so you would act in a different way. Um, I remember being on a plane in America, can't do this anymore, um, wearing my, my collar, I'm going to a conference or something, and um, there, was a, there was a queue, the line wasn't moving, someone's obviously trying to ram their suitcase in places where it doesn't fit, and uh, the cabin door was open to the pilots, I had my collar on, the pilots are doing all their little checking, I don't know what possessed me, shouldn't do this, okay, but I decided to go in, sit down in the jump seat. These two pilots turned and looked at me, and uh, I said, guys, I just want to pray with you. Got lines all stuck, so you want to pray? And they looked at me, and they went, do you know something we don't know? You know, it's like, yeah, <laughs> plane's going to crash. We should all uh, make confession now. No, and we prayed. We had a good time. One of them even said amen at the end. Uh, you go, you're fishing? He goes, yeah, yeah. So, 
but you can do that. Clothes, clothes, yeah, make the maketh the man. So we should all then be careful, distinguish what we wear, what's appropriate, what should be, um, how do other people view us? Particularly, we're wanting to be a holy people before the Lord. And that includes, as the next one, cuttings in your flesh for the dead here. This is a, obviously something that was going on in the day. Tattoos, right? This sort of a, now, just because you may or may not have a tattoo doesn't mean, oh, my gosh, that's it. You know, there's no, no act of redemption. You're all off to hell. That is not true, okay? Um, but you just have to be careful and make a distinction. When we, were, when we had a GAFCON meeting here, uh, I kid you not, a, a, a lot of the bishops went to uh, get the um, uh, Aramaic Trinity tattooed on their wrists. Why? I don't know what possessed them to do that, but there was a little fad going around. So whenever they hold their hands out like this, there's this symbol of the Trinity on there. Uh, anyway, but the, what the, possessed? What yeah, possessed what possessed? Them? Okay, but the point is, guys, it's, <laughs> it's, a, it's a separation thing, and we just have to make distinctions. We're learning; we should be learning how to be a spiritually mature believers and followers. Do not. Oh, uh, two two hands. Is this okay, David or Vida? Aaron, it's just coming back to the one with the heads. It's made me think of there's something very important about the head because it just made me think of 1 Corinthians 11, I think, where the woman should have her authority on her head because of angels. Oh, and yeah. there's some spiritual significance about your head. Well, that's your what head. it made me yeah. think of. It's, it's your cover. Yeah. It's, it's, in, um, it's in Corinthians. It's Paul again, isn't it, where he's describing yes. when uh, appropriate apparel inside a worship service, who can and who shouldn't pray with their heads uncovered. Yeah, yeah. okay, I know, the, I know the thing. I'll have a look at it. And see if there's some sort of connection. But it is interesting. God does, yes, he often describes himself as the head. And uh, heads of families, heads of churches, heads of communities. God is the Godhead. There's a lot of, that's very specific. Um, yeah, it's important. There's some sort of um, spiritual importance there. Yvonne. I like the passage in 1 Thessalonians 5.20 to abstain from every form of evil. Okay. And um, concerning the beard, I think it's very interesting. There's an oracle concerning Moab in Isaiah 15. And it says, um, he has gone to the temple. So, okay, the king of Moab, he's like, okay, Moab is undone. He has gone to the temple and to Debon, to the high places to weep over Nebo and Medeba. Moab wails. Over every head is baldness and every beard is cut short. Okay, so, so it's, yeah, it's yeah the whole concept. So they're also of marks of respect in in a in a in a fashion. Uh, yeah, um, I mean that's one of the things that when people think about the the Orthodox, okay, both both uh, Jewish Orthodox and Greek Orthodox, they've got impressive beards. Okay, you have to admit that. <laughs> and uh, yeah. Duck Dynasty tried really hard, okay, for the Protestants, for the but but there's just not enough of them. To, we got uh, Rocky. We got Rocky. We got Rocky, who's also making up for the Protestant part of the world. So now we come to a connection between humans and the earth itself, which I personally always find fascinating because we are commanded right in the book of Genesis to subdue and, and dominate the earth, care for it, but also conquer it, which is actually the word in Hebrew. Um, here you get this interesting command. Don't prostitute your daughter. Why anyone would want to do that, I don't know. But, but um, obviously it was going on. Do not prostitute your daughter to cause her to be a harlot. And then it doesn't say something like, because this is absolutely horrible and you better sacrifice three lambs, a goat, and, you know, uh, promise to never do it again. It, it doesn't say that. It's, uh, it says, because here's the problem. 
Okay? And the problem is the land will fall into harlotry. What does that mean? Um, and the land become full of wickedness. Okay? Not, so there's this interesting connection that God is bringing them into the land. He's going to make sure that not only are they meant to be a light to the nations, but part of their caring of, of holiness is going to have an effect on the earth itself. And for some of you, for all those that have been to Christchurch, then um, the, that, that place has seen many spiritual battles over its 200 years. It's had many prayers. An incredible amount of worship has gone up to the throne of heaven from that spot. Okay, people uh, have had, had had visions and experiences and come to the Lord, baptisms, as our brother Mordecai can attest to, that, that the earth itself is now affected because Israelis come onto the compound and they say things like, why does this place feel different? And you go, ah, because uh, it's soaked into the very earth itself. That it has an effect. Mordecai? Yeah, I mean, you, you can see this in Jeremiah chapter 3, verse um, <clears throat> 3. It says that when the rains were withheld, there has been no little rain, and you had blah, blah, blah. And in verse 2, it says, um, basically, you defiled the land. So people defiled the land. Correct. There is this, there is this connection between our spiritual maturity and well-being and the actual earth's sanctity and itself its holiness and therefore the way it's going to react and the land groans for redemption the land uh, which is um paul paul creation is groaning for its creation it wants the messiah to come clean up humans and then itself can also be cleaned up and one way one way of keeping this holiness which is separateness yes but also more than just being separate but, but being a holy people is to keep the Sabbaths. So, you know, that there is a special day that you guard and actually distinguish, right? The ability to distinguish between a day and the rest of the, of the other days. And again, our societies, as we all know, can't do that anymore. We are 24-7 and no one knows how to rest. We're constantly full of pressure and anxiety. The earth itself's not doing so well. You know, we end up... Uh, uh, ruining the place. But God links, links. It's part of this separation, holiness, the Sabbath, the, 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 the land itself, and to revere his sanctuary. So at the time, obviously, we're talking about the tabernacle. Later, we will talk about the temple or the tabernacle in Shiloh, and also the other tabernacle, which is, of course, inside of us. us, the community itself, right? The holy people that is also meant to be um, revered, which means we have to be careful when we're criticizing. It's good to criticize, to reform, to make ourselves better, to, to say, hey, brother, you know, I see you're fallen. Pick yourself up. Let's keep going. We have to be careful when constantly poking fingers at each other because it's, you know, um, this is something that the Lord has made and is fearful and wonderful to behold. He has created a community and wants to call the people for himself, which we call the Ecclesia, the Kehila, the Ada, the, the Church of God, for want of a better word. All right. So, um, 31. Again, here we go to the, uh, these spirit things, which seems to, um, they're real. And again, we, there is some, just because it's real doesn't mean we should, we should go to it. But people do. 
and and you, you know they do. And places like um, Nigeria and Brazil, you could probably tell us lots of stories about the that side of the world. Okay, more than we probably do in in the West, where lots. We, <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, so give no regard to mediums and familiar spirits. Um, the uh, again, the Hebrew there is very interesting. Um, the familiar spirits is the word, the ha'avot, right? The the ancestors, right? The okay, there's sort of, you know the, the, you can see this in the in the eastern realms. You know, this sort of ancestor worship, the idea of being able to communicate to your former loved ones. We all love people, and when they die, which eventually they do, that doesn't mean you don't stop loving them. Um, and obviously, some people want to keep talking to them, um, and uh, and you know really can't let go. Uh, and so there's some cultures really have a, a real thing for keeping up in contact with the um, uh, the, the dear departed ones. But the Hebrews they're interesting. The 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 avot, okay, the the fathers, the ancestors. And because um, uh, you'll be decarded, you become unclean by them, which is a very interesting way of discussing. It doesn't say this is a sin, and you know you better get yourself down to the priest to make confession. There's a taint. That that uh, when you contact the spirit world, that that stays with you, because in Jewish thought, spirit world and the physical world are very very close. Right? They're not separated by lots of distance. They're actually very close, and there's even some spots on the planet where it's very very close. Hence, Jacob's ladder's dream. They, you know, he turns around and says, "Oh my gosh, I'm actually I'm on the earth, but this is the house of God." And there's these strong connections. Mount Hermon and the idea that uh, this is where the angels came down and uh, from heaven and then um, spread out their influence before the flood, that kind of, kind of stuff. I've uh, got David and then uh, Malti or Dan. Aaron, I was just thinking that this is, this is like ancestral worship or familiar spirits. In our walk in the church today, how do we explain all saints day? How do we explain, you know, the day of the dead and things like this and, and, and justify that? Yeah. Okay. So that's a good question. And so remember, the chapter is on about making distinctions and being the ability to separate things sacred and things profane. So what's the issue, okay, the, the, with saints, the communion of saints? How actually can it be positive? As opposed to reverence to an uh, my dad, you know, who is not dead, but somebody else's dad who might be not might have died. What's the difference? Now there's a there's a there's a chapter in the Bible that encourages us to think about the departed in a positive way. Anyone know the chapter off the top of your head? Hebrews eleven and twelve, the cloud of witnesses, and it gives you this list of all these heroes, including the Maccabees. Right? There's all these heroes. And, it, and it, what's the point if we're not supposed to even contemplate somebody who's after their death? And this sort of very, and for the Greek Orthodox, this idea that, because um, they're also uh, contemplating some, some Hebrew thought, where, where when you're worshipping, you actually intersect with heaven very, very close. So, so in, in Greek Orthodox uh, liturgies, actually sometimes in Anglican liturgies and other older traditions too, but, but definitely in the Orthodox, they'll say, let us begin to worship the Lord with the saints in heaven. Like this sort of idea that we know that right now behind around the throne of heaven, they're worshiping the Lord. 
That's what it says in Revelation. They're worshiping the Lord. We're going to join them. Let's join them. And they sort of sort of try and create the, the, the seat. They're not worshiping saints, they're worshiping the Lord, but they're in the context of, of these other people. So there's a distinction between joining in worship and, and uh, taking courage from a fallen hero that has uh, gone before us to actually adoration and veneration of that person. So there's a, there's a difference. So, so in, this, in, this, in this verse, then it says, uh, it, it seems almost as there might be a, a hinted possession here because it says, regard not them that have familiar spirits. So it's as though something is attached to the person. And as you hinted at earlier, I mean, the discerning of spirit would, would see this, right? Yeah. Yes. The, and it's the thing, making the distinction between filled with the spirit, yes, and being filled with something else like possessing from another spirit. So as a holy people, we're meant to learn or have the maturity of the distinguishing, separating, making, uh, being able to work out what is sacred, what is not, which is profane, what is uh, clean, what is unclean, what is a holy day, what's not a holy day, um, those, kinds of, uh, those kinds of things. So it's, it's a good question. What is All Saints Day? And we have to make sure that when we, when we celebrate it, we're not worshipping them. We're looking at their, their, um, their life and saying, well, I can imitate that. Just as Paul says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. He doesn't just say imitate Jesus. Everybody imitate Jesus. Why would Paul even dare, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, say such a thing as imitate me if it wasn't a good thing? So we have to be, we have to be it's a, what we should learn from, from Leviticus how do we separate it? How do we discern? Uh, Dan or Mordecai, whoever's got a hand raised. Yeah, you actually addressed it a bit. I just wanted to share that in uh, uh, Africa, it's very common still today you know, to go to these witches and you can see, I don't know your take on this, actually. I was curious if you have like maybe some wisdom on it from the word of God. And yeah, I just heard that I heard many teachings that when people go to these kinds of spirits, mediums, and there's like an open door for demons in their lives and things like that. I, I've seen even demons cast out, and then the preacher says, this is how it happened, you know. So yeah. it can be a bit controversial sometimes, but yeah, if you have something to say. Okay. Well, first of all, if it's okay, I'm going to appeal to my friend in Brazil, who's probably seen a lot more of this than I have. Um, although. Um, traveling a fair bit, I have seen, especially in spending five months in China, I have also seen ancestor worship and lots of land demons that they have around their cities and temples and things. So they are they are quite real. Just but again, just because something's real and it's real, okay, the, it, is this this what we can't do is we too many of us have have, have taken science and then dismissed anything supernatural uh, to our detriment. Um, and I always take the warning that's in, the, in, in the, the Gospels that if you clean out a demon, that's great. Get a demon out of a person. That's fantastic. But make sure that the vessel where he came from quickly gets filled with the spirit or he comes back but with friends, right? And he, he, yeah, he sort of wanders the, the, the dry reason, which is very interesting. That's what it says in the Greek. Um, the dry reason regions the desert because in Jewish I theology, witnessed this with my brother. Oh, okay. Tell yeah, us. I, I I was praying for him. He had a 
I believe that was a demon and he had the hysterias and all these things. And I fasted and I prayed. And it's it's as if this demon left. And it was like for a month or a month and a half. And then when they came back, you know, I'm going to use this, this terminology, it came back like full force. It's like something I've never seen. It was like hysterias that were never ending. So, yeah. That's, uh, yeah. And so it's real. Yeah. But now he's good. If anyone's wondering, we... We're standing on the promise and he's good for months now so many months like three four months uh, nothing is Praise coming into him and he's happy so sorry for diverting the topic a bit no it's good kate you said in your chat does the spirit world not contact us yes it does okay and, and it always does ever since the garden has the spirit world been speaking and so many times at christchurch um when people come up to the for prayer uh, sometimes I don't know what to pray for. And we just say, oh, well, I just say, listen, may the Lord's angels keep the enemy far away from you. May you never hear his voice because he's speaking. We don't want to hear his rubbish. We want to hear the sweet words of heaven. That's what we want to hear. Um, uh, he's always such a such a liar. Okay, Yvonne, and then I'll go to Teresa from London. But Yvonne, you got anything on um, the spirit world you guys see over there? Yeah, a lot. And um when they do these work, they put on the crossroads. It's interesting on the cross. On the crossroads, they put like uh, candles and wine and chickens and blood. And and uh, a friend of ours, they had one like at their crossroads. <laughs> There's a father, a, a spiritual, we say Paiji Santo, here of the uh, father of the demons or whatever and uh she said she went over to his house and she said do you mind if you can put the chicken head on the next crossroad <laughs> i don't want it they were christians and he was like okay sure and um it's funny because i was at the grocery store at a small grocery store in our in our community and there was a guy buying 50 candles in front of me and i thought hmm i just i was a little curious and i thought why I said, oh, you know, he was like literally just checking. He was like right in front of me. And I, I said, I was just wondering, so many candles, is that for the church? And he looked at me and he says, no offense to, to the church, but it's it's actually, I'm a, I'm a father of the demons. I'm a father of the saints, but it's the demons. And uh, I'm, I'm taking this to these, they go to this forest area. Sometimes they have like these areas in back of them. And I said, oh, how many? And I, and I and then I said, well, you know, he said, no offense. He said, well, each one will hold, you know, each one will choose and be accountable to God according to each decision. And then I asked him how many candles uh, per week on these rituals. He said 50 candles or whatever. Those 50, he says, we, we go through 50, not even 50. So it's amazing how it's just, it's so very prevalent. There's a high and a low level. The high level <clears throat> is the spiritist. It comes from France. And they're the spiritistas, and then there's a lower level, which is the umbanda, which is like the dark. So there's a why in the dark. Of course, we know it's all, it's all, you know, it's all, yeah, all, all. but uh, so there's the intellectuals, and then there's a lot of syncretism with the Catholic Church. Yeah. And um, so that's, that's, if they don't, if God doesn't answer them, I'm not, I'm not saying a lot of people, there is it like maybe a good 20, 30% um, that if they don't, if the, if the Lord doesn't answer them according to what they want, then they'll go and they'll buy a pass. You buy this pass. If you have one to do revenge against somebody, you also buy a pass. 
and then you pay somebody and they do a work against somebody that you want. And sometimes you'll yeah, find something magic. on the corner yeah. of your house. Yeah, magic. So, it, it but it, it's amazing. And this whole concept, it's, you know, being raised in the US and then coming to Brazil, I always thought, this is just, you know, it's just like, you know, the Brazilians are very emotional, Latinos, like very, and I just kind of discredited it. And um, uh, we were at one of our churches and one of the missionaries, he was from the United States, him and his wife. And um, this mother came in during the week uh, and said, you know, my six-year-old, seven-year-old is, or whatever, seven, eight-year-old is, is possessed. And he's like, oh, okay, didn't believe it. Come, you know, and he sat her next to him, like, you know, this little girl, okay, come sit next to me, you know, let's talk and how are you, you know, talking to this little child. And then, you know, basically he didn't really believe in this whole thing either. They came from the U.S., had never seen it. I think, you know, the Nahash, the devil, the devil works in different ways in different places, but he literally started talking to this little girl, like, you know, eh? and then she grabbed his neck and his, you know, like, she's like, and her eyeballs rolled back, the whole, you know, the whole shipping and the eyeballs rolled back and the hoarse voice and the, the hatred. And he had, you know, then he did the expulsion and, and, and that, that, you know, and then my son was at an, at a, uh, also in a, a church retreat. We were, he was, he was ministering to uh, it's, it's uh, working with children and they, it's like a church. It's, it's, a, it's, it's a camp for people in the community. If you know, either Christians and um, in his room, a, a boy, which was like six, seven years old, was completely possessed and grabbed a knife and tried to get some of the other children. So they had to bring down. And yeah, they they, exercised, they, yes. they exercised again. And uh, and his story is that his parents are divorced. His mom's on drugs. She takes him to the funk dances and he'll like sleep on the side until the morning, middle of the night. She's a prostitute. So it's just, it's so sad, but it's so prevalent. But there's a lot of exorcism here. Yeah, the devil, the devil on the weak, but we should never be afraid of the enemy. That's another thing. So just because we acknowledge its existence, just because the Bible says don't have anything to do with it, doesn't mean that when you don't encounter it, you don't challenge it. Like when, when, when Yeshua was here, he never let the demons go. Like he didn't walk up and go, oh, it's nice to see you. you got nothing to do with me. Have a nice day. You know, he fought them. And he cleansed them. Right. So and so there's been a lot of liberation, which has been a blessing. And, and it's, interest, it's interesting because they also respect, uh, they do respect the, the Christians. It's interesting. Like, uh, you know, don't mess with the Christian. It's, it's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I hope so. I hope that is the reputation we have and not something that would be a good one. And, and then I have a, something that's completely just talking about the, the, the you know, the, the sanctification of, 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 you know, the separation. And I don't remember where it's at, maybe Madi or, or, or Dan or Aaron, um, but, you know, being the Kadosh being separated, how God separated, uh, you know, he sanctified Saturday, the, the Sabbath and he separated it. There's a passage where it talks about the Kadosh Narim, like the young in a sense, they were doing bad sexual practices or homosexuality. And they, it's, it's a kadosh na'arim where the young, there was a separation. So it's interesting how that word was attributed to in that particular context of separation. I don't know where it's at. I don't know if it's from Hosea or if it's from Kings or, I mean, I'm not sure, but I'll I have, thought that I'll was look. I'll write interesting. Down what I think yeah. and then, um, I'll have a look. Okay. So Teresa, while I'm writing that down from London. Um, just briefly. Yes, I think over here, certainly one of the issues would be when people, some people, obviously not all people, uh, are grieving and they can't handle the loss. Um, when the grieving has gone a bit wrong, 
then they are attracted sometimes, but I'm only saying it's some people, to spiritualists over here. And spiritualists um, have, I don't know too much about them, but they have regular meetings where they will contact the dead. So, you know, you, you, you're you grieving for, a, I don't know, a lost husband and you go to these meetings and then they call up the husband for you and uh, in whatever. But the thing is that when you've done that, of course, it, ha- it affects you. And uh, if you're a Christian or you become a Christian later, that needs to be dealt with. But, you know, you do need some ministry for that because it doesn't do you any good at all. It terminates. Correct. So that, that would be one of the, the doorways here. The other thing is, but I don't really want to talk about it, and I'm sure you know about it, and it's everywhere, is all the Satanism and witches' co- coven, covens and so on. We have got those over here, and they do try and they curse the ground. Certainly they're curtaining places, places, I do know that, buildings like hospitals. So it's, it's a, a dark area. Yes. And I always find it strange, not strange, but it's interesting that they don't just curse people, but they curse things and places because holy people can have effects on places and things. And, uh, and, and so it's also, it's very, which is what we find in the text here. But as a holy people learning to separate, we acknowledge it exists. We know it's not something we're meant to be a part of, but when we do encounter it, we fight it, we challenge it. And so that's all kind of dark. But then you get this very interesting thing of distinguishing. Erin, before you continue, I just have a sense. Perhaps you should just speak about people listening to this may get a bit of fear. What power the cross has over this kind of thing that doesn't affect people. And then, Erin, before you, and then afterwards, before you get into the, I was just going to, after Vida, I know you had, and I don't want to put the name on the recording, but you had did, you had done the exorcism on, on uh, that person. Yeah. And I was just wondering how, um, how what's the processes there? Like how, with the, okay, we'll the church. Okay, we'll talk about that one a bit, a bit later. But yes, so here we go. Um, the Bible acknowledges the spirit world. It acknowledges the spirit world can contact this side of, of the world. We've seen it. You see that in every, from the garden and all the way through. Uh, and here, the Lord, in terms of t- preparing his people to be holy, he says, these are not a practice you should be, be having. Um, why would people be attracted to such a thing? Because it, it appears to give some sort of answer or hope or emotional attachment, power, all kinds of things. So um, do we run away from it? Well, obviously, we're not meant to go into it. But the Messiah, when he came, challenged the darkness and the light always fought it back and he imbued his disciples with that same spirit and power and they did exactly the same thing in fact one of the things they they came when they gave him a report is my gosh you know we were we were we were beating the guy up he was bad and, and the messiah says yeah i saw satan fall light light you know and uh and so if you do feel under the pressure or the attack of the enemy, and maybe for all kinds of reasons you might be listening to his lies and thinking yourself weak, then find a brother who, who, who is confident and, uh, and stand your ground and let them pray for you and defend you and fight back the darkness. Because light always And also, Aaron, if anybody has these dreams or have problems like this, the first name you call on is Lord Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. 
And I think that, and that chases everything out. Yeah. Because Jesus won the victory. Yeah. He yes, and yep, yeah, and the uh, the battle still goes, but the victory is his. Absolutely. So don't 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 ever stay in darkness. Always get the light on your side. And the best guy is the captain. All right. So and now on a positive uh, piece of um, separation and distinction, standing before a gray head, okay, or as they uh, have say in Hebrew, mitnet seva takum, right, and um, which you actually see on the uh, Eged bus line, okay. They actually have a sign from this verse that says, right, not that anybody actually does it, but it's there. Okay, I always find it very interesting. Like, look at that. They've got a piece of Leviticus just running around these, these, um, these buses. And, of course, it's being ignored. But there's a, there's a, a, a sense of um, sending honour and understanding maturity. Now, why would we give honour and understanding to someone who's a bit older than us? Well, may I? Go for it. Uh, here's the thing. In the Christian world, it's not... In, the, in a way that we do in a Judaism, Jew, Jew, Jewish world. When I first arrived at Christchurch, we had volunteers, there were many volunteers. And when I saw Father Daryl or Reverend Pelkey passing by, I usually stand up. And one day, Amelia from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania asked me, why are you being so weird? I told her, why? Why are you just standing like a soldier, like acting like a soldier? Whenever you see a Reverend passing by, this is a ministry center. There are deacons, fathers. You cannot just just like, you know, you cannot continue that. I told them, these are Bible verses. You have to raise up to respect. And in the Midrash, it says that when he comes closer, like when, if you can see him clearly, you have to raise up, no matter how far he is. And the reason is because if you ever been to a synagogue, most of them in the States have a little uh, thing written on the Cower uh, of Torah says, "Da lifne mi atome." No, for whom you are standing. So when you respect the elderly, you respect God. When you respect you, the respect is all over the Bible. That if you don't respect your elderly, and this elderly thing is, comes from the Moshe Rabbeinu and the seventy elders, by the way, it's not a new thing. Uh, so basically, you got to respect them. And it, as you see, the verse continues, like as saying, where is it? You shall fear your God, I am the Lord. So if you don't respect your father and mother, if you don't respect the elderly, if you don't respect the church leaders, synagogue leaders, then at the end of the day, you will stop respecting me. Very good. Thank you. You know, I hadn't actually connected honoring um, the, the mature with honoring your parents, but it's there. Yeah, it's very, very, very interesting. Well done. Thank you. In a, in a Yeshua world, you are not allowed to speak unless you are asked. When I first met with uh, Aaron, he, he would probably remember it. I was just being quiet. And I, I felt that he was like being unsure or uncomfortable with me because he was telling a lot of stories from the Torah and the Midrash. I was like, mm, mm. and one day I had to tell him, look, in the culture I grow up, I don't speak unless I'm asked. So if you want me to speak, ask. <laughs> it's it's all about respect. So it's a different mentality, but I, I enjoy it because if you don't respect anything, then at the end of the day, you'll stop respecting like God and his Bible, his church, his community. So. Yeah, and at the same time, I was sitting in, in that room waiting for him to interrupt me and argue. And I was like throwing out things, hoping that he would like get into an argument and a fight. 
You know, where I will really get into the meat of the of the stuff. Nothing happens. I'm really polite and I'm like, my gosh, this guy's actually English. You know, I mean, there's a one of, or Swedish. You know, one of the you know politest people on the planet. You know, not the, but, but it's uh, it was it's the tradition, okay, of, of giving respect and uh, and honor. Good on you, mate. Because uh, you know, some cultures are just a little bit more polite than others, and. And uh, those of us in the, in the in the British world, you know, we have a little bit more manners but we, uh, from our tradition. And the Scandinavians, they beat us. They are very, very polite people. All right. Yeah, Teresa. I just want to share something very briefly, and that is that before the lockdown, I used to, or the first lockdown, I used to colour my hair. And the reason I did it was because I was afraid of people automatically, if they saw me at a distance, I know if they see me close up, they could tell, particularly now after all those lockdowns, but that they would treat me less than because I've been treated less than as a woman, et cetera, et cetera, all my life in different organisations. And so, but the colour came out because of the long, the length of the lockdown. So in the end, I decided I would bite the bullet and face it. But I have noticed the difference in shops and I hate it. Because it's almost like there, there, dear. Oh, can you manage? And it's a horrible feeling. Okay. <laughs> a yeah. feeling less than, you know? And yeah. the interesting thing is my Hindu neighbor and my Muslim neighbor, they just, I mean, they don't treat me differently, but they are kind of nice to me. They're sort of, they treat me as a normal human being, shall I say, like that. Yeah. yeah. And I find with, in church, I, I think in churches, you know, you can be, not always, but you can be still treated a bit less than. It's sort of, it's this idea of you get written off. <laughs> you know, you're, you're, past, you're past your sell-by date. I mean, basically. Now, I know that's very stark and it isn't always as bad as that. But I just want to share that as a bit of experience yeah. um, because it's horrible. It's very, very hateful. And yes, we used to have a far more respectful society when I was a kid. People stood up when older, when my grandparents went, it came into the room or any, any adult, actually, any adult or visitor came into the room, you stood up and it just doesn't happen anymore. And <laughs> the thing that I had to give up because of feminism <laughs> are men holding the door open the for door open, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> you could just trip over them these days or getting up on the underground when it's all crowded and you're boiling and thinking oh I just want to sit down and there's all the young people on their iPads and you think oh dear you know yeah. where, where did chivalry go yeah yeah and we have to see it in balance but I, I, I just make that point as rather you know as being a little more humorous about it but actually it's, it's pretty hateful that we can't respect everybody for who they are because everyone has has something to contribute, whoever, whatever their background and whoever they are, however old or young or whatever. But you're either too young. This is what I found in business, too young or too experienced. So you become a bit of a threat or too old. <laughs> that's just a few ideas for you. <laughs> yeah, that's that's interesting. My husband, he, you know, he's, he's, he's Asian. So when we go back to to Taiwan, uh, there's like a pecking order when you go out for dinner and there's the round table with all the food. So there's the patriarch and then the older generation, you know, the, the older generation and then the children and the mothers come last. But it's interesting, a lot of the respect that uh, some of the Asian cultures, I, I really, really admire that. I really think it's wonderful. Um, the, the thing about standing up is interesting. It reminds me of Laban 
when um, <clears throat> when Rachel uh, had hid the, the idols and she said, oh, I'm so sorry. I can't stand up. I'm in my yeah, days. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. it's interesting that you get that in the in the in Genesis. Yeah. We are meant to have respect. It's a it's a it's a it's a sign of holiness and a, and a, and a way of being able to make distinctions. And maturity needs to be respected, if it's, especially if it's connected to spiritual maturity, because the implication is that these guys have had a little bit more uh, longer to deal with um, the issues of life. That includes the enemy. That includes uh, the Torah. That includes Bible studies, and they can impart that uh, that wisdom to us. We should never, never ignore it. Okay, um, and this is in connection to fearing the Lord. Right, that awe and reverence of, of God. That, that's also part of His character. Uh, when a str- now going on to this idea of the stranger, the, the holiness is great when it's talking about all those close to home. What about the other people? And so here we go: stranger sojourning in your land. Don't do him any wrong. Treat the stranger who sojourns with you just like if you're a native. He was a native. Love him as yourself. Very similar to the the uh, command in uh, chapter verse eighteen, because uh, you also were strangers in Egypt. I am God. So who is this stranger? Hand raised, Moti or Dan? I can I can say a few words on that. You know that. Uh, the topic of stranger or foreigner or sojourner is a big topic even in secular schools when we uh, study the Bible itself. Um, it's a really big topic. And we can see even for me, we can see God's heart for the foreigner even here in the Viticus. Um, And especially now that there are so many millions of people that are displaced from their homes from you know, because of wars and conflict and and uh, persecution and all of these these things, we it's really um, prevalent for today. Um, so just in, I think the word sojourner or foreigner is in the Bible around a hundred times. And just in Deuteronomy, God says to love him, the foreigner, uh, to to use the tithes to bless him, to take care of his needs, to assemble with him so that they will listen to the word of God. Uh, invite them to holidays and feasts and so on. So it's a big deal in uh, in the Old Testament even. Um, and why? First, God says, because the Israelites were once foreigners in Egypt. Uh, also, they were slaved and God redeemed them. And also so others could learn to fear God. Uh, so that's a big topic. You know, the book of Ruth also is all about the Moabite Ruth, who was a stranger. When her husband died, she, Naomi actually wanted her to go back to her people, but she didn't want. She said, your God will be my God, and so on, and all these things. Uh, it's a big thing. And in the New Testament, Jesus even spoke about, we know the parable of the Samaritan, who is my neighbor, you know, love your neighbor, and then he speaks about that. And, you know, the Samaritan who helped him, that would be equivalent to say today, you know, there's a pastor coming by, and he went, kept going, and there's this priest going by and he kept going. And then the Muslim guy, he comes. You know? yeah, yeah. And then he's the one who helps him. So who was the neighbor then? So that's, a, 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 I don't know, it's a, close to my heart. So I wanted to say a few words on that. And even in Ephesians, I can uh, read from the second chapter and 12 to 13. It says, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers 
to the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Amen. So just in this time with, you know, the war of Ukraine and all these foreigners that are coming in, we should not be brainwashed by media and politics, but we need to know what God wants us to do. So I don't want to go into politics, but it's just uh, yeah, something I wanted to share. Excellent. Thanks, man. I like, like the way, because uh, Abraham's called a gear, right? And, um, and so it, it, when trying to figure out who are the gear, well, Abraham's a gear, he's the first Jew, therefore it became synonymous with, with people who were, were converts. However, there are portions in the scripture like this where it's clear that the gear are not necessarily converts there there are people who are in the land for all kinds of reasons they might be attached they might be they might be interested and tracking with the people of israel by the time of the new testament half the synagogue were god fearers were gentiles that were attached and uh and there is this um thing so part of holiness and acting in a holy way should be attractive and you're invited get these get these get these strangers and invite them to the festivals invite them to your worship times invite them into your homes and uh, and make your light attractive um, to the people and um, and 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 god constantly refers back well, obviously exodus is very close in time to these people in leviticus so it's very fresh on their memories um, but as you're rereading this thousands of years later God is constantly reflect, reflecting on the exodus from Egypt, the idea of redemption from darkness, and strangers do need to be taken out of the land of darkness and brought into light. And, uh, and even in the exodus story, Israel came out, yes, absolutely, and they were strangers in a strange land, and um, strangers came with them. They weren't, they weren't by themselves. There's always that, that tracking together. Uh, it's an it's a, excellent thank you. So there's this idea of, of when we're distinguishing and making a, a separation that um, there are those that are not 100% like us and we should treat them just as well. And that includes refugees, that includes people who are uh, different with us in all kinds of reasons and make it attractive uh, to want them to share our table and, uh, and the Messiah and the kingdom of heaven. And then bringing into the economy now the ability to distinguish between the appropriate economy that uh, the Israel is going to have to set up. I mean, the, the Torah really doesn't cover all facets of human life, right? We've got uh, social status, slave-free. We've got um, holiness in terms of priests, non-priests. We've got um, Jews, non-Jews, and Gentiles. Uh, how we're supposed to treat the earth, the, the, the plants, the fruit, the animals, the, I mean, clothing, I mean, just unbelievable. And now economy. How do you handle your economy? Um, and first of all, no injustice. I mean, let's this, this, this idea that we know what we all want to do. We all want to get rich. Okay, great. You can do business. But you're going to do it honestly. You're going to do it, you're, the way you will conduct yourselves in business will be unlike the world, and uh, that's a tough one for us because it's very hard for us in the modern world to succeed if you're not cutthroat, if you're not mean and nasty. And uh, uh, I, mean, it's, I understand why Christians want to go into politics to try and you know save the universe and make their countries better, but it's hard. It's rough. And uh, but so here in economy, 
measures, weights, volumes, have honest scales and do honest dealings. That's hard. And, uh, but it's, it's part of, our, of the holiness code for, for one Israel, but then brought into the family of God, the Commonwealth of Israel. And that includes also not on, on a practical level, but also on a spiritual level and a moral level that um, in our hearts we have to try and be honest, not only with our hands. Okay, that's uh, it's always easy to say, okay, I'll do some honest business dealings, but I really want to rip you off somehow. Um, no, <laughs> approach approach the the task at hand with your heart first, and then your hands will follow follow suit, and uh, and make sure that okay, we're going to go into this business dealing, and let's both try and succeed here. Uh, David or Vida? Yeah, Aaron, I'm just I'm curious actually because. Uh... Uh, this is this is great, uh, but the Lord tells us a parable about, about uh, giving a, a mina to the first, second, and the third one. And the third one says, "You should have put your money in the bank to earn me interest." Right? Yeah. What is what is usury to interest? Usury. Uh, that's a good question. Well, in the parable, I think when the, he wasn't talking about in terms of economy per se. No, I, I get that, but but he implied that. You need to, even as a Christian, make a profit. I mean, it's a terrible word to use, but you know what I'm right. saying. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, and and that would be yes. So, how do we handle what's our what's the correct holiness attitude towards stewardship? That's a good question, right? How do we distinguish proper business practice? Like, like, is getting all our money and putting it in the bank and doing nothing with it is that the acceptable thing, or or should we sort of, you know, pray, discern, look for investments, you know, these kinds of things? And then is the goal just to make money? Well, no. You know, he who dies with the biggest bank account still dies, right, um, uh, and can't take any of it with you. But there's things that we can do with that, so uh, with the money that we may or may not make. And so because um, uh, so, Paul actually says, you know, may the thief please stop stealing, get a job so you have something to share. You know, this idea that um, you should work, you should be a good steward, and then we plough it back into the kingdom of heaven should be the appropriate response. I think that should be the appropriate um, response. And you can, anyone want to argue with me or debate it, but I think that's the, the, the core holiness code. Anyone have comments on how we as believers should participate in the economy? Not only God's economy, but the economy. I'm just saying God's economy is different to our economy if we look at it the way that I'm, you know, I'm just being honest. And and I was talking this afternoon and I have a few friends with quite a lot of money and I have very little, but never for one second do I feel ever deprived. And I would say, and I said it, I feel as though I'm the richest person in a room very often. And there's a difference between being rich and being rich with money. And if we're dealing with money and having money, then we should we should treat money with the respect that it's due. And money, being rich to me, if I had money, I would be able to use it in lots of ways. I would enjoy using it. And it wouldn't necessarily be to profit myself. It would be to give. But then, then, I, then, then Kate, may the Lord bless you with lots of money. <laughs> May, may he uh, shower you with that and may he, that spirit of generosity. I'm sure he laughs at me when I say things like that. I'm sure he 
does laugh at me. But do you know what? So often, in a few days, a, a wee check will arrive unexpectedly saying, Kate, you know, buy something nice for yourself. I do get that occasionally. I have some lovely friends. But um, wealth and riches are two different things in God's eyes. Sure. And this, this, these, these rules here are not just for rich people. They're everybody. No, everybody. It means that the little guy, the guy, let's not call baristas little guy, people who make our coffee are incredibly important in the kingdom of heaven. Yes. Okay, as everyone knows what life's like with no coffee. Okay. Yes. So, but the guys who guys who serve coffee, right? They've got to be honest with, with, with their the way they make coffee, give you the right coffee, and charge you the right coffee. Okay. Same with same with any form of business. It's 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 across the board for peasant and king. Is that our holy people, regardless of our social status, need to make sure that we're acting in a in our in a holy and honest way. because um, all of us are going to reflect the Lord, including the poor. And the rich. Yes. I reflect it even though I'm not rich. I yeah. understand what it says. Holy. Yeah. And in God's economy, David will say this probably at least once a week. Um, best investment is give to the poor. Yes. Right? Because of that, because of that verse that says, He who lends to the poor lends to the lends to God. Yeah. Yes. Right. Oh, like, I don't know that one. So I've yeah, been doing he, it right. He who gives to the poor lends to the poor. It's, um, it's it's not to say that oh my gosh let's give everything away. Um, it it just means you know let's be honest in our dealings and also be generous, and that includes obviously to the poor. Um, we're also meant to to discern who we should be giving things to. All right, so take care of the household of faith first. Right, these sort of ideas where let's get our community together and we will give all our money to the local Islamic community center. Uh, what? No, wait a second. You know, take care of of your community first. If you happen to have some spare left because you've been so unbelievably blessed, sure, begin to go outside the household of faith. But um, because uh, uh, we've seen some very interesting believers, and there are brothers and sisters who have come to Israel and gone to the settlements and given them lots of money in cash. And I remember looking at them going, what are you guys doing? Oh, we're supporting, you know, the sort of messianic idea of you know, bringing in the redemption by taking over the land. And you're going, and you're giving it to this guy? You just gave that orthodox guy $10,000? He curses you, you know that? And not only that, you've got a messianic brother around the corner here who's incredibly poor. And you're like, hang on, don't you think you should have, you should have you know? okay, not saying that don't help settlements. If you've got money, great. You know, go there, plant a tree, work on them, pray for them, and all that kind of stuff. But hang on, take care of a household of faith first. Got to be careful where, where it's misplaced generosity. So we've got, be, we've got to be discerning. One of the things in Leviticus 19 is the ability to distinguish between the sacred and the profane. And, act, and that's part of a holy people. And uh, and, uh, and it's it's a sign of spiritual maturity. We, it's not something we do as an individual. Everything we're doing is is as a group. We we're, pray, we're walking out our faith with fear and trembling as a group. If we don't know what to do, we ask our friends. We pray with our friends. We discern with our friends. Especially if someone has the gift of discernment, that would be nice. Um, and why is it important? Because at the end of all of this, these laws of holiness, the Lord says. Guard them, observe them, and put them into practice. Why? Because I'm the Lord, 
right? This is me who's talking. This is not just uh, Moses who's giving this. This is actually the Lord himself speaking. And therefore, every verse is going to have multiple levels of me. And so we will continue to wrestle with this, learn it, and hopefully put it into practice. Because we're connected to the Commonwealth of Israel, brothers and sisters. You know, this is the Adar of God, and he wants us to be a holy people. All right. Rocky, you got a hand raised? Yes, sir. Um, well, I'm, I don't go hungry and I have a warm, dry place to dwell. So I am in the top 10% of the world. I am very wealthy and I love to share. Praise the Lord. Yeah. Yeah. Just so for those that don't know, at the end of every session, Rocky always shares parts of his garden with us. Okay. And some great pictures. You can share anything. Yeah. <laughs> Send some over to here. Yeah, in the in the in the sheep and the goats, who gave me water when I was thirsty? You can be as poor as rocks, and you can still have the generous heart and nature to say, the only thing I've got is a glass of water, but I know you need it. So here it is. Take your feet off, sit down, tell me about your day, let me pray for you. There's uh, lots of ways for us to to really be different than the world. And uh, it's our task, it's our calling, right? Remember, Vayikra. And he called. He's calling a holy people. Don't be like the world. Be something different. Thank you for listening. Our sermons and Bible studies are on all your favorite podcasting platforms. Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and more. Sermons can also be found on YouTube. Follow us on Facebook for alerts on live streams. If you are blessed by these teachings, please prayerfully consider giving toward the work of Christchurch. Visit ChristchurchJerusalem.org. Blessings from the City of the Great King.